Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I've got a little breaking news for you. Oh. We have a breaking news drop, don't we? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the same uh, music cue that every podcast for time immemorial has used for breaking news bits. Yeah, I think it's like I think it's buried in in like the Mac stock. Yeah, music there's like folder. There's like one uh, royalty-free music cue that yeah. somehow <laughs> somehow like every single podcast has used. I, I'd say it's high time our podcast uses it. I mean, it it hasn't been official up till now, but now it is. Yeah, I think I mentioned this on the pod a while ago. I went to go get labs taken. Yeah, and, uh, and the results are in. Whoa! I think we could probably make this into a little game. Okay, want to play a game with me? <laughs> yeah. The game is called "How Many Food Allergies Do You Believe I Have?" Wow! And this is a list of let's say fifty, like of fifty possible food allergies a person could have. How many do you believe that I have, based on? Wow. Now, is this going to be a recurring bit where you ask me a few each episode <laughs> and I and I say yes to cheese, no to fish or no, whatever? No, we're going to we're going to I mean, we're going to have an answer okay. here. So you're just I asking me to 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 guess a number yeah. based based on the knowledge that there are 50 things you could potentially be yeah. allergic to. That's uh, right. Okay, my guess is just going to be right down the middle. 25 food allergies. Uh, my wife also guessed, I think, close to 30. <laughs> my doctor, upon uh, reviewing the lab di- diagnostics, started like this. She said, uh, I've been doing this practice for 20 years. <laughs> Which is like... Sort of a really fun, dramatic flourish for any doctor, I think. Yeah. <laughs> she said, I've been doing this for 20 years, and you are one of three people to ever have labs come back saying that you have zero food allergies. Whoa! Totally clean wow. on the food allergy front. Adam, have you considered... The possibility that your digestive tract works totally normally and that you're just extremely sensitive to the fact that it works. <laughs> like like you are the the uh you're the middle-aged woman going through airport security that is totally totally <laughs> flipping out about being asked to do all of the normal things that airport I, security entails. I resent the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know from traveling with me how hurtful a comparison that is. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, Adam, everybody poops. There's a whole book about this. Look, the abnormality remains. <laughs> this is this is not a normal state for people. Okay. My doctor agrees. Yeah. I think whenever a, a major medical diagnosis happens between... Uh, between the hosts of a podcast, I think that's something you need to share on the show. Absolutely. 
don't want anyone to worry out there. I think in some cases, people might be more worried about me I mean, the as fa- a result of this. Yeah, the fact that it's really not a diagnosis. They've eliminated an entire potential category of things it could be. What does it mean? Well, I felt great about being in the clear up until now, and now <laughs> maybe not so much. <laughs> but I thought it might be appropriate to share uh, a medical diagnosis on an episode like the one we have today. It's a very medically focused episode, Adam. Yeah, it sure is. I think maybe this episode means more to me now than it did when I watched it. It's uh, it's Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 13, Life Support. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Jake is uh, walking around the promenade in a in an uncustomary necklace outfit. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like this episode may be the dawn of an entire new series of looks for Jake because he seems to have abandoned the neck enhancing garb that he customarily has worn up till now. He's also not wearing a com badge, but I'm sort of getting the idea that. He wears one when he's doing Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he punches in, the time clock like issues him a com badge. <laughs> like, yeah, he like punches his card and puts it up in the thing, and and it like uh, it's like a like a snack machine. It just like drops a com badge into a little tray at the bottom. <laughs> Knowing the good that the com badge does, though, could you ever foresee a time where you personally would ever take it off? I would keep it in my pocket at least. One of my New Year's resolutions this year was to go Ronin from my cell phone more often, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm like going out for the evening um, because I have a smartwatch that can serve a lot of the like emergency contact roles of the smartphone, like leave the phone behind and not have it there as a temptation and and just, you know, try to not be so tethered to it all the time. But uh, maybe that's what Jake's doing. He's got like a, a fitness tracker somewhere on his person. I don't know. Gave me a lot to think about. Yeah. You know who else uh, gave me a lot to think about is Lee Ann. Yeah. He is played by Lark Voorhees from Saved by the Bell fame. Oh, really? She's, uh, I didn't know she was of other fame. Yeah, she played Lisa Turtle on uh, Saved by the Bell. No kidding. Yeah. Well, she's, uh, appears to be an age-appropriate love interest for young Jake <laughs> Sisko. <laughs> I think that's why they're so thrilled to be in each other's company because that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> and she is really macking on him too, like yeah, age age appropriate and willing and eager. <laughs> that's something that I put in my dating profile at the very end. Four twenty friendly, shaved, willing and eager. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Uh, nothing. A woman you don't know. Wants to hear less than the phrase willing and eager. <laughs> <laughs> There's sort of a fun, like, they have a meet again cute, don't they? Like, they used to know each other, but she had a boyfriend at the time, but now that's over. And so they made plans for later yeah. to go have dinner at the Klingon restaurant that I thought was closed at this point. But I guess it's still open, only we'll never get to see it again. Right. But what happens here at the end of their meet is sort of a, it's a scene you usually get in a hospital show. Like, the security people go running by, they start yelling about an emergency. Move aside, look out! And then we follow them with the camera. I know, like, it really exposes something that I wish happened a lot more often on Deep Space Nine, is showing, showing like, what life would really be like, and 
the idea that you can just be walking around the promenade looking for babes and a space emergency could break out all around you is really exciting and interesting. I love this. Yeah, I do too. It's a technique that we don't get and I feel like we should more often, the technique of handoff. Yeah. Because the promenade especially is a place where so many different things happen. It feels like you could really float the camera around between multiple stories yeah. in quick succession and, and they're rarely interested in doing that. I watched an episode of Vanderpump Rules the other night that did this technique, and it was like, uh-huh. it was totally gripping, because it's... <laughs> More it's, gripping than usual? Well, there's like, it, every time every time there's a party on on any of those shows, like, shit totally melts down at some point in the party. Always, always. if Like, if you get invited to a party, one of the girls is going to be crying. She, like, found out that her boyfriend cheated on her or something like that. It's going to be a total shit show and people are going to be taking sides and like leaving in a huff or whatever. And in this particular party, I think two different things were happening like that. And somehow they like the people pulling the strings on this fake ass reality show got it so that both things were going off at the same time and they had miked both things but the camera walked from one conflict through the party to another and it just like it puts you there you know like it suddenly doesn't feel like a reality show where everything is conveniently staged in a booth toward one end of the club like it doesn't feel like it's lit it feels like it's a real thing that's really happening there's a producer in a trailer outside of that party going this is when i've become an artist yeah a moment like this i was floored well, uh, the 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 emergency team is running towards uh, towards the space dock because a Bajoran transport is pulling into station and uh, and something blew up inside. They can't beam them on board because uh, there's a bunch of radiation from the blow up that's happened. And so they they roll the roller door aside. Uh, the smoke clears. Yeah. High wind rolls through the smoke, and it's like, yeah. "Hey, I'm I'm fine. Go help the others." She's not. And, she's uh, not the first person to roll through, which is I, I think surprising. Like they didn't say like Kai Win out first. It was just random. Kai Win seems like the George Costanza escaping the apartment fire of the group. Like, <laughs> like, it seems like she would be pushing people out of she's, the way to get out of that transport, knocking over infants to get to the door. <laughs> yeah. As the leader, if I die, then. All hope is lost. But uh, like Scotty's nephew in uh, Wrath of Khan, Vedic Barail gets carried out of the ship and he's covered in hamburger meat. He stayed at his station while the others ran. <laughs> is the order given, Odo? <laughs> Boy, uh, Odo radios this news up to Kira and uh, I was blindsided by this moment, Adam, because I just really think you cannot introduce a great new haircut on Kira in a moment like this. Is that what you're going to call it? <laughs> yes. You don't like the haircut? I mean, I hate that I already burned through a couple of Seinfeld references, but Kira's hair looks like Jerry's hair from the episode where they don't get enough water pressure in the shower. <laughs> it seems a little flat to me. These showers are horrible. Oh, I really like this new this new look. Uh, I, I think it's lacking volume. You're so obsessed with volume. <laughs> you know, come to think of it, your wife has a ton of volume. She has naturally voluminous hair. 
Don't tell me about my wife's volume. <laughs> I'm just saying, I've decoded something about your type. It's not just Bajoran women <laughs> who are, you know, strong-willed and, and uh, temperamental. Yeah, that's my main type. They also have to have a ton of volume. That helps. We get one of the rare Kira eyes to opening theme, too. Yeah. Uh, and when we come back, it's uh, the Kai in the white under thing that she wears under her uh, ceremonial garb. The thing she has to wear to fuck someone? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just know that I, I recognize it from the collar because you see the collar when she's in that gold robe that she yeah. wears most of the time. Yeah. And she's pretty paranoid. She's thinking it's sabotage. Yeah, they're like, well, why? Because, you know, O'Brien and Kira are there, and she's like, I want to tell that to my main man, the emissary, in private. It's pretty cool how much uh, street cred Cisco continues to get based on, on the pilot episode, right? Right. I mean, it kind of means he's got, uh, he's kind of like her boss in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. He never he yeah. never uses that position, you know, because he's got too much ethics but I, I feel like he could kind of like be like, hey, listen, the prophets told me uh, they think you're a punk. Yeah, there's something that happens later I'm going to want to return to that point as well. Like the degree to which Cisco does or does not use the great power that he has, I think is kind of a mystery to me. Yeah. Do they ever get to the bottom of whether it is sabotage? Uh, I don't believe they do. I thought that was an interesting point that they left that string dangling. We cut over to Bashir doing brain surgery on Vedic Barail, and this scene is kind of a mess. Like, yeah. they, they're they using what look like clip show devices, which immediately scared me to death watching this scene. <laughs> because, like, if there's one thing I don't want to see is a bunch of clips of Vedic Barail's appearances on DS9. Yeah, I, I was really glad to see these uh, space scrubs again, though. Yeah, yeah very, those are fun. Very fun. I like to see the Bajoran lady wearing them. Don't you tell me what I should or should not be doing. You know, it's the cascade failure where every time they put their finger in one hole in the levee, another one seems to burst and more water gets in. Yeah. Pretty devastating. And it's it's tough to see a character that we like, uh, you know, going through this. It's. Well, hold it right there, man. You don't like him? Are we to like him? I think we're meant to like him, but I'm not sure if I do. I like him. Hmm. I, yeah. I like that Kira likes him. I just, I think you you bring too much of yourself to this assessment. No, I want Kira to be happy. I just think she can do better <laughs> than him. <laughs> she should get a guy who can really satisfy her in the way that only somebody who can change the shape of their dong could satisfy her. <laughs> To be the next scene is uh, Cisco talking to Kai Wynn. He brings her over a cup of coffee from the replicator. He sets it in front of her in a way that sort of looks like she's having coffee with her breakfast baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a very tough Queen Amon. <laughs> The pastries on uh, in Cisco's office leave a lot to be desired. It's like anything you order out of the uh, pastry case at Starbucks. Always pretty disappointing. Right. Well, she's uh, she's pretty worried about the uh, potential death of Burial. He has been a loyal and trustworthy aide since the election. She's uh, she's saying like he has kind of been the power behind the throne in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's put this whole thing together. Like if it works, it's gonna 
be great for a lot of people, and I just don't think that I can do it myself. I think that he's the man for the job, and this has all been thrown into question whether it'll happen if he buys the, the proverbial farm. I think Louise Fletcher does something great here in that, like, in this scene, it actually makes you feel like, oh, maybe she's not so bad. Like, yeah. in her feelings about Vedic Boral, you're like, huh. Well, okay. Her recognition of a goodness being done to her is almost a our recognition of her being a better person than we thought she was until now. And I think that's crucial uh, because of what comes a little later in the episode. She plays innocent super well. And from an acting standpoint, it's pretty advanced. Like she, her eyes are a little puffy, like she's been crying, but she doesn't cry at all in this scene. And it, she sells to Cisco that she is entirely interested in this from a greater good standpoint and not a personal reputation enhancement standpoint. Uh, w- Louise Fletcher was super sick with the flu during this episode. No so kidding. that look on her face is practical. Man, I can really relate. I've uh, having recently done a couple of live shows with you where I was like extremely uh, ill with a cold. <laughs> Not extremely ill, but like ill enough that I was like, I really wish I didn't have to go on stage right now. Little pancake makeup, little uh, emergency. We wheeled you out there like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, there's a little adrenaline to going out there and doing it, and uh, and it makes you feel better. Yeah. Kai Wynn is, in talking about this hatchet burying, describing a situation wherein there have been secret meetings between the Bajorans and the Cardassians, and uh, Vedic Burial has been a big part of those talks. Like, secret meetings that include concessions like uh, reparations and, and givebacks. There's even the possibility that the Cardassians will issue a formal apology for the pain and suffering inflicted on the Bajoran people during the occupation. Not just secret meetings that don't really amount to much, but like the conclusion of which could have meaningful consequences for both Bajorans and Cardassians. Kind of right. crazy. The, the specter of that conflict could be put in the past, given the idea that this actually works. And it's important to know the stakes here because uh, this is the point where Bashir says Vedic Barail's dead. Yeah, he does that doctor pulling the rubber gloves off as he comes out of the surgery and uh, breaks the bad news to Kira. Boy, her fucking performance in this scene is devastating. Yeah. She really, like, stiff upper lips him. Thank you, doctor. I'm on duty in ops. Excuse me. And he's like, no, like, you really should go, like, take the day off, be be with your feelings and she like shuts him down she's like i appreciate your concern but i'll grieve in my own way in my own time she's so great in this scene and it just makes you want more to the degree that the a story impacts her character we get very little of her in it yeah but this moment she really she really steals the show i mean yeah i like got misty eyed watching it. She it was totally arresting and great. Yeah, but you you can't just let uh, Burial's body go cold without a Y incision. So yeah, uh, Bashir needs to go in and do an alien autopsy. Mm-hmm. Is this really an autopsy of an alien being, 
Or could it be something else? From the beginning, this scene has a lot of mad scientist elements to it. Like the, they don't do any like special visual effect to have the stasis field. It is just a lighting effect, and they cast mm-hmm. this like glowy green light on the sheet that Brile's body is presumably under. And then they bring out this crazy rig that they're going to put over his head for the autopsy and stuff. And yeah. then at some point, they're like, hey, the, the neurons are firing. And they're like, let's get in there. And it cuts to this inside the cut perspective of Bashir, like fiddling inside Barile's head. It is B horror film camera direction going on in a really fun way. Especially because of what Barile ends up turning into. Like it is a very Frankensteinian. Yeah episode isn't it it's never the focus of the episode but they kind of put it in your head by using the the visual language the way they do Bashir sees electrical activity in uh in Vedic Burial's brain which is something that I think neither of us have seen in any of his episodes up until now <laughs> and then using a I bunch know he of has medical- it in his dick and then using a bunch of medical terms, uh, he develops a plan to revive him, and it fucking works. And Kai Wynn sees it as a miracle. The prophets must walk with you, Doctor. Because with Kai Wynn, she frames everything in terms of how it impacts her. She considers how badly she needs this guy, <laughs> sees that he's been reanimated from the dead, and dubs it like a miracle that the prophets have provided. That I think she sees as being a gift to her almost exclusively. Yeah, he's got kind of like a techno yarmulke on that, uh, that is kind of keeping his brain going. And uh, the discussion is like, hey, like, let's get now that now that he's back, let's get this legget out here. Let's hammer this deal home. And Bashir is like, I don't really think he's like, I mean, this is going to be a long, slow recovery. Like, we're going to have to learn, like, teach him how to tie his shoes and stuff. Like, he's had a fairly major brain trauma here. I don't think uh, interstellar geopolitics are really the first step on that path. So maybe like pump the brakes, Kai Wen. If you haven't seen Deep Space Nine in a while and are thinking that Dr. Bashir is like lecherous grab-ass Dr. Bashir, his pivot into a serious doctor is fully realized by now. Like he is not just competent medically, but he is really great at playing against Kai Wynn here, like in standing up for his patient, in being serious and strong and not backing down and like... Realizing the power he is as a medical professional. He is chief medical officering her. Yeah. Uh, it's a tricky situation. Like, Kira is there arguing for get my boyfriend back to being my boyfriend. Kaiwen is there arguing for even if this burns him out too fast, like, we need to use, use the fact that uh, we've gotten him back for a second to finish this deal. Bashir is arguing for, like, what's good for the patient is the only thing I care about because that's my job, and Cisco kind of has to make a call. Pretty serious episode here up until now, Ben. Would you like me to squirt a bunch of cheese Whiz onto it? Hell yeah! Lest you forget, uh, there is a date planned for tonight, and that date has been manipulated by Jake's friend, Nog, 
who argues that Jake's single date with Leanne should in fact be a double date that features Nog and a lady to be named later. She has a friend, right? I love this uh, this conceit. We see it all throughout the history of movie and movies and television where another girl would be willing to date a guy simply because he is there and friends with a guy that her friend is dating. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. This never happens. Yeah, like the number of couples that like I get along with the guy and my wife gets along with the girl and like we all get along with all, you know, with each other well is very few and far between, you know. That is a totally difficult thing to make happen when you're trying to make it happen using all available research and resources and, like, reputations. Right, and, and like, the two couples already like each other. It's not a first date. Yeah. I guess when Deep Space Nine has, like, 40 people on board, you take what you can get. <laughs> well, it turns out that... Uh... Well, the premise of this date is pretty dumb. The, the episode doesn't wind up being as dumb about what would actually happen. Um, but mm. I guess that happens a little later. What starts here is a bunch of cross-cutting between uh, the very serious Vedic Burial scenes and the slide whistle full of cheese whiz that is <laughs> Nog and Jake. Hello, what would that sound like? <laughs> like, this is especially acute in the scene where we cross cut from Nog rubbing his own lobes to Burial's face like like transposed yeah it totally gave me the emotional bends and like I feel like the clown portion drags a serious thing down more than a serious thing can can be destructive to something comedic yeah does that make sense no I agree I think it's like you think of this in a script as like the salt that brings out the sweet or vice yeah. versa but because the stakes are so high, because, like, death is on the line in one of them, the idea that hapless teens trying to do grown-up stuff in the other mm -hmm. storyline is, you know, a little bit of an oil and water thing. Yeah. Uh, Bashir has some bad news for Burial, and that is uh, reviving him has meant a lack of blood flow to some of his organs. And this is a problem that has not been solved in the far future. He wants to put him back into stasis until they can get their arms around the situation. And Burrell's like, no dice. I'm sorry, Doctor, that's not acceptable. He's duty first. He wants to remain involved in these negotiations. And uh, he's willing to sacrifice his health to do it. Bashir gives him another option here, which is this... Yeah this drug that he can take that has a very, very high percentage likelihood of severely compromising the health of his internal organs. And uh, I kind of feel like that might not be the best doctrine. Like if, <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, if it's a one in four chance that this is like a life ender, like... <laughs> Like, I don't I don't think you should do it, but I'm willing to do it if it's what you ask me for. I don't know. I mean, at the same time, if I were a patient, I would want to know every available option to me, no matter how risky. I mean, to offer a counterpoint here, like, it's easy to judge Bashir and, and Vedic Burial uh, with our one prescription sample size, but I think <laughs> generally what Bashir has done here is right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if anybody that knows anything about medical ethics has an opinion on this moment. 
I think what Bashir does is not sugarcoat how fucking risky it is. Yeah. It's also like you got to know your patient too, right? And Barile's done nothing but say that he's that he's in it for for the team. The stakes in this episode are that Barile is willing to give his life for this to be his legacy. Yeah. Uh, and Kai Wynn is very bought into the idea that Barile would give his life so that it could be her legacy. <laughs> Kai Wynn wants this to happen because she has a meeting with Legate Terrell and it doesn't go great. Like no. she is overmatched by this guy and it it's revealed to us how much she really needs uh, Barile on her side. She's kind of a pushover in this. And, you know, the second Terrell leaves the room, the supposedly impartial Cisco turns into the shoulder that she cries on. And I can't do this without Barile. If he dies in peace with Cardassia dies with him. She's that kind of political leader that is like working three hours a day, not really actually that interested, but also potentially like incredibly destructive to institutional uh, health in spite of all that, you know? This is one of those scenes in Deep Space Nine that really low-key distinguishes itself from Star Trek The Next Generation because... We are used to a Captain Picard here negotiating super tactfully and like being the smartest guy in the room and not being manipulated by a Cardassian. Like, and this is a scene where the Cardassians win yeah. at the negotiating table and everyone is afraid of them and not as good at negotiating as they are. And this scene goes by super fast, but it is one of those scenes that really makes Deep Space Nine different as a Star Trek show. Right, because it's also not really Cisco's place to say anything while all three of them are in the room. Yeah. and Yeah, he's just providing the room. You know, in measure of a man, like, everybody gets stuck on a side whether they want to or not. Yeah. Well, smash cut to the cheese whiz. The, uh, the date has, uh, has presumably been going for a while based on how much food is off of the plates of Jake and Nog, but uh, the girls and Jake kind of have one concept of what a date might look like. Uh, and Nag has a very different thing in his head when it comes to what a date might be. We're supposed to grasp that they are very close friends. And yet this scene makes it clear that they've never been on a double date before. Right. Ever, ever, ever. And really have probably never talked about girls. Let's not make foolish conversation. In any substantial way. Well, they've ne- they've definitely never watched like a movie where a date is depicted and then been like, you know, like, wow, Nog, I can't believe that dating is like that on your planet. Is that really how it goes? Like from a writing standpoint, I kind of loved it because the, like we are getting that automatically through Jake. But when yeah. when everybody clears out and it's just Nog and Jake at the end, it's clear that Nog was having the exact same feeling on his side. I think you've done enough damage for one night. Yeah, it would have been a lot easier to just make Nog the boob right. that everyone hates. But it's symmetrical embarrassment here, which I think makes this scene less cartoonish than, than maybe it would seem. Yeah, and it's well written. Like When Nog starts laughing and they all like get into it, they're like, oh, Nog was doing bits. Like He's like Ben and Adam. <laughs> like, this is, uh, he's been doing a bit this entire time, and then... It's revealed that, in fact, he's laughing at the girl because he thinks she's so dumb. That is a great moment. Like, there's a moment where he could redeem himself by by realizing that he's been a total boob, and he could save it by just 
copping to it being a bit, but right. he remains totally uh, sincere. And the fact that like he says she's dumb, and then he says that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, every time he does a move, it is like further in the direction of Ferengi in such a fun way. Yeah, I guess we'll never see Leanne again. Yeah. RSVP Leanne. <laughs> and then like so the date breaks up and is just a total catastrophe, but not an utter catastrophe from the standpoint of paying because they dine and dash. Like everybody storms out and they leave like half eaten food. Oh shit. They do not settle the tap. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, I guess since since Nog like has a dad that works there, maybe it's just assumed. He, or maybe they prepaid. You think he's on credit? Yeah. But uh I would I would have loved to see one of the Ferengi bartenders come come around with the check and be like, where'd they go? <laughs> Uh, so Bashir and Kai Wynn are still at odds about uh, Baral's level of care, and it's because Baral's really struggling. Like, he looks pretty low-T, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> kind of lethargic. Yeah. And, like, mentally, he's a little foggy, too. And Kai Wynn is just, like, the person at the bedside who, like, needs more and more from the person who's sick. Yeah. And Baral just isn't able to give it his attention is wandering he's in pain the uh the vasican is damaging his organs and Baral is still stubborn about it he's like keep giving me the vasican uh whatever it takes to get me through these negotiations is is the level of care that i want just do it his willingly and with you know and of sound mind and not so sound body like making the decision to give it up for this negotiation like this will be the thing that kills him but he's willing to do it this is a conversation that begins at Barile's bedside and then ends up in a private conference between Bashir and Kaiwin where where Bashir really makes the case that you know he's deferring to you Kai he's wanting to put it all out on the line for you and if you just told him to take a break he would listen like you're the only one that can that can talk him out of this. Yeah. I could really use your help here. His perceived necessity is what's driving his decision. If you And if you told him that he wasn't necessary, then I think I have a chance to save his life. Right. He would, he would stop pushing the issue and relax a little bit. And Kai Wynn's like, fuck that. Like, I need him. And that's the point when Bashir really turns and is like, you're just afraid to stand alone because if the negotiations fail, uh, you have a scapegoat to blame it on, and Kai does not dispute this at all. Barile's already made his decision, Doctor. I won't interfere. And then Bashir doesn't hold back even more, like really cuts into her he quite a bit before storming out. You're a coward. You're afraid to stand alone. He fucking reads her. It is a great Bashir scene. He sees exactly what she's all about, and... I don't know if they've had many run-ins, the two of them, before, but she is customarily a villain when she shows up, and for the whole episode up till now, she has seemed so selfless and doing this for the right reasons, and in this moment, he really undresses that and exposes it for the self-serving that it actually is. It's super cathartic because you've wanted someone to tell off Kai Wynn since we've known her, but because it's a doctor doing it, it seems a little uh, diminished, right? Because, like, he has medical permission to do this in a way that, that other people don't have professional or social permission to do the same. 
Right. Like if Cisco did it, it's coming from the perspective of not just being the Federation's man on Bajor, but also being the emissary. Like it really has teeth. And yeah. like, like when she says, I'll remember what you've said here today. And he says, I will too. It's like, he's not really in a position to become a huge problem for her politically or whatever. This is the moment in the episode where I thought a conversation between Bashir and Cisco might be in the cards. Well, it might be, but in fact, it will be a conversation between Jake and Cisco. Right. They are going to have dinner. I guess this is the next night, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is all about how badly the date went. Ben Cisco is a pretty good counselor for young Jake. Jake, whose side I was on up until Ben Cisco started giving his perspective. Yeah, I mean, his perspective is that there's a cultural difference here that you failed to anticipate, which is an interesting point. I mean, it's sort of surprising that Jake wouldn't have had a sense of of this going in. But I also thought it was a little weird that Cisco is kind of defending Nog's behavior. Sounds like he's acting like a Ferengi to me. While it is his culture, his culture is bad. So <laughs> That is what I was thinking. And like watch us wander into this minefield conversationally. (laughs) But like, at what point do you come to a stop in cultural acceptance and start recognizing things as just kind of being a fucked up way to treat people? Right. Like that's the line that they're actually discussing over dinner here. Yeah. And I don't think Jake is very good at articulating that point, his own side, because he allows himself to be convinced by his dad that Ferengi gonna be Ferengi. And this is Star (laughs) Trek, man. Like, you would expect Star Trek to be like, you know, treat everyone fair and well. That's that's the Starfleet way. And instead, it's like... We left that foolishness behind us centuries ago. Part of it is I wonder if he's just fucking with Jake. Like, for sport. Yeah, I like don't is know. this a way for him to break them up as a, as as friends? <laughs> kind of dark if you think about it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, a final decision must be made about what to do. W slash R slash T Barile, and you know, like he is he is basically being kept alive through some of the most. Uh, advanced stuff that Bashir can do. Like, he is replacing organs, he is replacing a brain hemisphere. Did this seem possible before this episode? Like, the idea of a positronic brain implant? Well, it's only half a brain. Pretty blown away by the idea. Yeah, it's a little bit past what you think is possible, given, like, the idea that data is non-reproducible as a phenomenon. Yeah. Maybe Bashir is also a cybernetics genius, and they just haven't uh, exposed that part of his character yet Kai Wynn is like replace all the brain parts do it like this is great like she is <laughs> totally riding for the Frankensteinian doctoring of Vedic Burial but she's saying and needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one Bashir is like what would Burial want yeah WWBD I was shocked at the at the position that Kira took here in taking Burial's side Right. I guess it's just that she knows that it's like the most important thing to him. And she's also like weirdly had a chance to grieve his death, you know, like she got told he was dead already. I think it's crucial that you don't see that grief. And that's why this scene doesn't work or comes as a a surprise to me. Like if you were able to realize her grief, 
I think her decision to keep him alive in the aftermath of that grief would make more sense to me. But because I never saw it, I never felt like she truly did. And so this position of hers was surprising. And it's not just speculation about what's going to happen to, to Burial. I think Bashir is fairly specific about his personality being changed as a result and it not being the same person on the other side of the surgery. Yeah. And yet they still ride for surgery. Bashir's overruled. So we, instead of cutting to the surgery, cut to Jake hatching a scheme with Odo, whereby uh, Nog is brought into the brig and Jake is already sitting in there rotting in a cell. How will you find Nog on the promenade, you ask? He's the only one wearing a Carmen Miranda blouse. <laughs> the accusation is that they are uh, they both teamed up and stole something from the Tholion ambassador's quarters, and they're stuck in jail. It's like a it's like a lock in, you know. Uh, the hatch has been buried in the brig. Jake and Nog appear to be on their way to being back to normal. Double dating is definitely out. But also, like, the gesture is really meaningful to him. Like, the idea that Jake, like, went to these great lengths to apologize and and to, like, try and build their friendship back. Good God. Like, the the G-forces between these crosscuts is extreme because we, (laughs) like... We stay in the brig a while, and then we cut back to Bashir, and the implant's functioning, and Burial's awake, but he's, like, totally robotic and fucked up. And then we go back to the brig for some reason to talk it out again, and then we cut back out, like, to Legget Terrell. Like, yeah. It, we the kept, cross-cutting we kept, is fucking crazy. We kept from the brig to, like, the celebration, and everybody's drinking the blue drink of bilateral peace accords. Right. Yeah, Bashir's not thirsty, though. No. He's moping. He doesn't even want to drown his sorrows. He said because of what he had to do to keep Burial alive, and uh, Dax is like, look, I've had weird things put inside my body before. It's not so bad. (laughs) Yeah. And by that, I'm talking about Klingons. (laughs) (laughs) Hickory dickory Dax. Whoa. Another scene where we're like, "Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we bring some, some cheese whiz to this uh, serious ass show?" Because uh, Quark has invented a dessert and named it after Kai Wen, but it looks like a big turd. It's a chocolate souffle. I think you got to make the Kai Wen souffle look like Kai Wen, or like at least have the Pope hat of Kai Wen. That would be nice. Yeah, like. like- like a little a, imagination, please. Like a lemon curd coated meringue with a little white stripe <laughs> down the middle. Right? What is he thinking? Yeah. I think that's why Kai Wynn is so disappointed when she sees it. Like you can see it all over her face. It's it's both it's both the actor having the flu, but also not impressive. Uh so Quirk is setting this up on the buffet when the call comes in. Medical emergency. Dr. Bashir to the infirmary. What you say? That Burial is crashing in the uh, in the sixth bay. And so Bashir, Kaiwen, and Kira head down there. And uh, Kira's like, we replaced half of his brain. Why don't we repla- replace the other half? And uh, this is when uh, Bashir says something that I think is potentially very offensive, which is that it would take away his last shred of humanity? What? Hmm. The hell? The Federation is no more than a homo sapiens only club. Yeah, I mean, Kira had every right to what the fuck eyes him and yeah. uh, and chooses not to. I think, I think because she is realizing the grief of this moment, 
Yeah. The grief chickens have finally come home to roost. Yeah, and it is uh, one last opportunity for Nana Visitor to really put on a tour de force acting performance. This last shot is just a very, very slow dolly back while she recalls the first time she saw Burial and like relates it to how she fell in love with him. This is a gift that you give to a stage actor, right? Yeah. Like We're not going to cut. We're just going to, like, it's a page of dialogue, you know? Yeah. And she's good enough to carry it. She's better than good enough. Like, she is uniquely suited for a moment like this. Nana Visitorius. There's so many other actors on this show that this scene you would have to do in an ECU. And mm-hmm. she is tiny in the frame by the end of this shot. And she is still giving you the full emotional, you know, every emotion is hitting as hard as it possibly can. I don't think that's an accident. I mean, I think the the slow pull away evokes the end of someone's life. I think I think a person's shrinking size and frame portrays their powerlessness at something happening to them or around them. Like yeah. I think there's a there's a visual language here in this scene that all gets tied together. The uh, director of this episode is named uh, Reza Badiai. Uh, he died in 2011. Um, I, this episode, like from a camera and uh, and performance standpoint, I thought was incredibly well directed. And the script is a little dorky the way it pushes these two weirdly disparate storylines together. But uh, I really appreciated, especially this last moment. Kira's scene at the end is as good as you say, and she gives this scene so much. But does Beryl deserve? this moment as a character i might argue that he doesn't and i would also argue that star trek believes that he doesn't because they do not give him the single brass instrument of oh shit the death of an important character (laughs) so bejor may never forget him but uh we certainly will i think and so will star trek damn you really want to do this here now okay okay let's do it do it did you like the episode though outside of that moment there's a lot to like. I mean, I kind of like both stories, you know? Like, I, I I don't think they're a great match for each other, but I kind of liked seeing both of them. And on, on balance, I really like the episode. I just kind of wish they had found two, two episodes to put these two stories in and A and B stories to match that weren't such weird, uh, such a weird point of comparison. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean... I think if you were to deconstruct the A and B story and then find different A's and B's for them to be compatible with, that would be more satisfying. I think we've made it pretty clear that Star Trek has a hard time with condescension, W slash R slash T, morality tales. But like in the portrayal of an end of life decision, which is what this is, I thought it did a pretty good job in giving voice to all possible outcomes and opinions to that moment. Yeah. I just wish the noggin shake thing were in a different episode. <laughs> and it's because of the transitions, I think, that makes it hard. Tonally, noggin shake are so different. And I wonder if, like, commercials benefit those transitions in a way that we're unable to perceive hmm. when we're watching it on Netflix. Because when we just cross-cut from Nog and Jake to Burial, like I'm wondering if that's really happening in the show. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. 
Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages that will air concurrently with this episode, Adam? <laughs> yeah. What do we got? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Joe. It is for Daniel, Leah, and Mike. The message goes like this. Oh, I've got a script note here. Oh. Script, the script note says Uxbridge. <laughs> Please, Daniel. We can't keep doing this. 100 American dollars is an economically irresponsible amount to send messages to a person. <laughs> Leah, don't let Daniel do any smelting in the house. Mike. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. <laughs> Race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. It's, it's a duck blur. It's a duck blur, yeah. We all know that. Yeah, yeah have you watched any of the new DuckTales? Is there new DuckTales? Yeah, uh, Bobby Moynihan's a part of that show, but I yeah, I, I mean, I don't have cable, so I, I don't know how I would ever see it. Oh, man. Do love me some I, Bobby Moynihan. I know. I guess we took a little bit of the power out of that message by both sharing that we don't watch DuckTales but, <laughs> but a beloved memory of a childhood show yeah sure. I, I certainly respect putting those words in Kevin's mouth just for the lulls yeah uh, Adam our next message is for John Turner and it is from Amy Ben Daniel Glade Kevin and Mimi it goes like this congratulations on your well earned PhD whoa we all miss you in Boston but maybe once in a while, you can stick a cake in the mail for us. We promise to have worthy candles by the time it gets here. Good luck with whatever comes next. Wow. Congrats, John Turner. I hope whatever comes next is sleep. Can you PhD believe- is no joke. Can you believe this person left Boston for a PhD? There's like a dozen <laughs> colleges in Boston. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Also, sending cakes through the mail, I don't recommend- my mom, I, I, I recently celebrated a birthday, and my mom tried to send me a pie in the mail, and uh, they they uh, did not deliver it to my house, and when I went to the post office the next day to uh, ask about it, they said, oh yeah, it was covered in flies and totally wet, so we didn't, we didn't drop it off on your doorstep because we didn't want it to rot there. I was like, oh, thank you. Oh my god. Yeah, it was pretty nasty. I had to carry it back like three blocks. I was probably sitting sitting in this seat where I am recording a podcast episode with you when the cake when the, when the pie was misdelivered. Wow. Yeah. It came it probably came within 3 feet of me because my office is right next to the steps up to the front door of my apartment. You know what else comes within 3 feet of you in that office <laughs> when you're alone? <laughs> If you have a priority one message you'd like us to read on the show, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are among the greatest ways to support the ongoing production of this program. Oh, did I say office? I meant masturbatorium. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, I just have a question for you. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible.
drunk Shimoda. Yeah, I did, and I think this is going to be a one of those classic greatest gen callbacks. Okay. Because uh, very early on in our run of shows, I think one of my favorite Shimodas ever was, uh, you know, sometimes we like to select a Shimoda just... Just for the sake of recognizing someone on screen yeah. doing a thing. Like, they, then that's it. Like, they don't have to be doing something crazy. Like, who's that person? What yeah. do you think their deal is? One of my favorite Shimodas ever, of course, was 40-year-old Ensign. <laughs> she, was, uh, she was an Ensign in engineering. Just, like, make, making a new go of it. Like, yeah. doing a fresh start. Like, I, I love that Ensign. One Inspiring. of my favorite characters. You don't have to be bogged down on whatever you did when you started your career. Go yeah. do something else. Have fun. You only live once. Do what you have to do to make yourself happy. Ensign Yolo is out here inspiring the rest of us. In this episode, uh, during the party scene at the end, it is clear that there is a 60-year-old Ferengi waiter <laughs> uh, serving food and beverages at this party. This is a character that I don't believe we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, who gets no lines at all and yet is as old as the Nagus. Yeah, he's clearly uh, fairly advanced in in your Ferenginar years. Yeah, and I wanted to know more about him. Just just seeing him skulk around carrying the souffle. Yeah, I'm wondering if he's the creator of the Kaiwin souffle. Oh, he's very jowly. I would believe yeah. that he has a lot of carbs in his life, given how yeah. jowly he is. Yeah, so that's my Shimoda. What about you, Ben? Uh, boy, I I could not resist giving it to Nog. Uh, just for for the way he announces that money is good. But women are better. <laughs> that's a hard agree from me, Nug. <laughs> yeah, that's a good moment. Nug's really feeling himself there. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. 
Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the very next episode, Ben? Well, Adam, the next episode can be found uh, to be described in the following way. Of course, it's uh, Season 3, Episode 14, Heart of Stone. While traveling in a runabout, Kira and Odo learn that a Maquis ship has ambushed a Lesepian vessel. Hmm. Moderately interesting sounding. Do you want to hear another streaming services take on this episode? I really do. A desperate situation that could cost Kira her life forces Odo to face the depth of his feelings for her. Mm. Uh, two, like, I would say the only two words those descriptions have in common is probably uh, Kira, and Odo. <laughs> I do like a Kira episode. Yeah. Seems like, uh, seems like we're doubling down on episodes that have emotional consequences for Kira. Yeah, give me all of those. Hell yeah. It appears her hair has been weighed down <laughs> by all of this, though. Yeah. Yeah, she's carrying a lot on her hair. Uh, what do you say we take it to the board, Ben? And by the board, I mean Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. Yeah, you can go to gach.biz slash game to look at this. Uh, beautifully, beautifully designed by... Uh, our buddy Felipe Sobriero, and uh, coded up by Craig Anderson, who I believe is in the UK. Uh, the uh, the board game is uh, is pretty extensive and pretty awesome to look at. Yeah, pretty great. Uh, we are currently our runabout is currently on Square Thirty One, where just ahead there is a Measure of a Man Square, and then a few squares after that, a Quark's Bar episode. Boy, I really liked the Measure of a Man app we did uh, last time we recorded. 
And also, I think we we flipped a Friends of DeSoto challenge coin when we decided mm-hmm. who was going to be for and who was going to be against yeah. uh, at that time. And recently, I think it was on Reddit, somebody somebody did like an analysis of how random the flips are on our challenge coins and they had they they flipped it like 256 times and it was perfectly 128 heads and 128 tails what yeah wow i would not have expected that we've got one of the most reliably random challenge coins in the game adam that is not a tactic you would want to take to a roulette game for example <laughs> uh note the gambler's fallacy yeah you i mean but if you handed this coin to data he wouldn't have to squish it in his fist a bit before he flipped it right yeah it'd be perfect he wouldn't need to squish it at all yeah well uh do you want to roll them bones see what we're going to be doing you're required to learn as you play roll all right here we go and uh, Ben, I've rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Okay, that puts us right next to Philippa Louvois. The runabout is sort of pointing at her suggestively, but uh, we are not going to be uh, doing any particular type of Greatest Gen episode, just a regular old Greatest Gen episode. Speaking of randomness, I mean, like this, I don't know how this board game picks its random numbers. There's like a, we have a little interface on the admin side to to roll the, the dice. Yeah, I think it gives everyone what they want, a, a sprinkling of chance, <laughs> a little bit of weirdness, but mostly the episodes that people have come to know and love. I like the way the runabout is uh, is like offset a little bit so that we get Louvois' whole face on the square. But uh, also uh, a little uh, little borders drawn around it, so we know which one we're on. Whatever happened to Philippa Louvois? Oh man, I would uh, I would pay good money to see her pop up on a season three episode of DS9, or perhaps in Picard, the new CBS show about Jean-Luc Picard. Oh man, are you fucking kidding me? That would be amazing. It's just a sex scene. As you can see, we are physically quite different from Malcorians, and. With your permission, I'm prepared to prove it to you. Yeah, and you know it shows everything. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's not on television. All access shows it going in. Well, Ben, why don't you tell the people how they can support the show? Oh, uh, it's really easy. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and sign up to support the show on a monthly basis. Uh, that is the way that Adam and I feed our families these days. So uh, we really appreciate everybody that does that. If this show, you know, is a appointment listening for you, or if you've been through a couple of times, you've listened to every episode, uh, consider uh, helping keep it free for other people because uh, that is uh, hugely appreciated by us and I think hugely appreciated by uh, folks who find this thing out there and uh, and find it valuable. Yeah, we're especially talking to you wealthy people. Yeah. You can help subsidize uh, the support for those who who have a little harder of a time month to month. Yeah. So, uh, and then so when the, step up to the plate on their behalf. And then when the revolution comes, you can uh, point to that and we might not eat you. <laughs> I think we're still going to eat you. Yeah, we're probably going to still eat you. Uh, there are also free ways to support the show. You can, uh, if you have a, uh, a podcatcher app of some kind, recommend or review the show. Give it a nice review. Say why you like it. Uh, that always helps a ton. 
Uh, also, uh, you know, find uh, other Star Trek communities online and recommend it to them or recommend it to a friend. You may or may not know that uh, Ben and I have other podcasts, too. We've got The Greatest Discovery about Star Trek Discovery. We also have Friendly Fire, the war movie podcast we would do with our friend John Roderick. Uh, both of those so check are, those out. are uh, very different from this show, but also real fun to listen to. Um, I, would, uh, I would highly recommend both of them. we got to thank the combination of Dark Materia, who makes uh, the theme music for Greatest Gen Programming, and also Adam Ragusea, who has made all of the interstitial music for this show. Uh, he makes the music for our live show tours. He contributes so much to uh, the Greatest Generation properties, and we thank him. Our deepest thanks. And uh, also our deep thanks to our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes amazing uh, trading cards based on each episode and puts them on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. And also uh, JJ Lendl, who has been making amazing portfolio print style uh, posters for upcoming episodes of DS9 and putting those up on Twitter. Uh, he really makes marketing the show easy because Sunday night he puts that poster up and I'm like, hey, this is coming tomorrow. And that feels good to both share his work and and kind of tease the episode to come. Yeah. Week. Join uh, the Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter communities surrounding this show. There are all kinds of different... Uh, variations on that theme you can learn to cook or uh have fun hangs with lgbtq members of the friends of desoto groups uh all kinds of different uh sub variations and uh they're all findable online uh and we uh we feel so lucky for how how good and chill those communities are primarily because of the hard work of the mods and admins of those groups who yeah. work tirelessly to keep them cool and fun places to hang out and not toilets full of assholes. You might think that joining those groups might mean you have to get married based on the <laughs> rate of people getting married who have joined those groups. You don't have to. Oh. You can stay single if you want. That's fine. Or you can not stay compulsory. married to whoever you're already married to. Yeah. I mean, if they find out you joined, they might they might think differently about that. But, you know... <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Look, leave us out of it, okay? (laughs) And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation. It's hard as a rock. (laughs) This will be a first. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.